Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Outtake episode. I was actually on Josh Johnson's uh, Cardboard Chronicles. That was maybe about 45 minutes. Very enjoyable. He's an excellent interviewer. But there was about 10 minutes of it that I thought maybe this is slightly new ground that I hadn't covered in my podcast. So I'm just grabbing an excerpt of it. He's one of the excellent content creators out there, YouTube and podcast, and recommend his stuff. But this is just a snippet, give you a little taste of his approach and my answers to a couple of questions. He asked me a bunch of them, this couple that I thought might be of interest and give a little bit of teaser for the whole show. So thanks, Josh. Thanks, listeners. And I've got sponsors, too. So Topps, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hug and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Comsey.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, everybody in the ecosystem. Enjoy this great hobby. So here it is. So the price guide was really just you at the start, right? Tell us about like the first price guide and how it took off. I had five guys asked me to do a price guide and that said, you really ought to do this. And none of them had the full vision, but each one of them had an aspect of it. But most of them, other than the last guy, Denny, said, you ought to do a price guide and, and I ought to split the profits with you. <laughs> How does that go again? I'm going to do all the work. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll, and Denny came up to me and he said, "Look, I know you can do this. I'd known him for a long time in the hobby. He had a great reputation." He said, "I have a distribution business." He said, "You're not the distributor guy, and I have all this typesetting equipment in my office, and I have this background." He said, "You make a list of all the things you think are required to do a price guide, a, a book. A, this really would be a business." Make a list of all the steps that are required and then check off the steps that you want to do and then make another list of the things you don't want to do. Can't, don't Mm -hmm. want to do whatever. He said, I will do all the things you don't want to do. I will do them or get them done. And I have the ability to make it happen. I have a track record. My word is my bond. So I check it out. Yep. I'd known it from knowing him, but his word was his bond. And so we started a quasi-partnership, a division of labor for a number of years. He's passed away now, but... That got me going. The other guys had great ideas. <laughs> going back to card ladder, there are a lot of people who have had ideas and they pontificate yep. about what if something and yeah, I could do this, but do it, do it. And then stand up to the criticism that you're not doing it the way somebody else who didn't do it thinks you ought to do it. So yeah. yeah. So, that rings very I'm right sure. to home, man. That's exactly how it started for us. We definitely got criticism on do it this way, that way. And it was, I must've missed your price guide where you were doing it that way. <laughs> You know? Tell me about the boom of the 90s with the price guide, because I grew up in the 90s and I just have very fond, nostalgic memories of Beckett Magazine. And you go into the grocery store and picking up the newest issue. What was it like during that time for you and, and the business? Uh, let's break it up into three pieces. One is the the 90s before 94, before the baseball strike. Okay, yep. It was insane. Okay, People say, oh, it's junk wax. Junk wax means there was a lot of product. It was being sold and being bought and put in garages, a lot of it. But it was hectic. Our circulation was super strong. We were going great. PSA was doing great. We weren't even thinking about doing great because we had our hands full with all these different price guides. All the price guides were doing great. Big six-figure circulations of all of them, paid circulation, a great sell-throughs and all that stuff. Baseball strike hits. Mm, that kind of chopped the baseball magazine in half overnight. Mm-hmm. So that was a blow. We were still profitable, obviously, but it was like you talk about me being the voice of reason or the, the sage, the older guy, but... There are no sure things in this hobby. Here's the trend line. There's no trend line that takes into account the baseball strike. Okay, so now you have mm-hmm. a baseball strike, which took some of the fun out of it because you were on this rocket ship. And that was like, oh, wait a minute. I guess there are no sure things. And then at that point, we really were in a business. But more importantly, the card companies, it no longer was order taking. 
Now, what in the late 90s, so this is the so the third epoch or era, there's the early 90s before the strike, there's the strike. Then after the mm-hmm. strike, it's not been mentioned that much, but it's, it's one of the eras of greatest creativity within the production of cards, bar none. The late 90s, the 96, 97, 98 period after the strike, and it's not just basketball, but all the sports had this kind of renaissance of design in the case hits that I look back in the price guides then and I think, gee, that seems really cheap. They weren't being sold. When people got those cards, they knew they were rare. If they were putting them for resale, they didn't have the audacity to charge what they would have been worth. So the late 90s were a golden age of insert cards and parallel cards. It's a big part of the fuel of the modern hobby of these outrageous prices. So that's the 90s to me. Okay. Yet those companies, for the most part, went out of business because that formula was ahead of its time. We have that stuff now to enjoy it even more because it was such a short period and it wasn't overly produced for 10, 15 years. We can just look back on it now and it's gained value. Did you see my interview with Gene Arena? I didn't see it, but I listened to it. Actually, I've listened, it's either yours. I've listened to several with the arenas. That yeah, are, so that's they're the, the, they're that's the, the brain, era, yeah. the, 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 the inspiration and, and the design, but the, that magnificent. <laughs> the scarcity is one thing and they're legit scarcity. They weren't contrived. They were intended to be case hits. But yeah. you go looking for them. You couldn't find them then. You can find them now because the, the price has driven some amount. But I may have listened to yours, Josh. I don't know. You're more YouTube than podcast, aren't you? In fact, lately you're it's, doing card It's lab. both. Yeah. yeah. I put it on both, but I'm just thinking like yourself and the arenas. It's just like the mecca of that era for me. It's like Beckett magazines and inserts and parallels. You guys, like, how did you guys price some of that stuff? Knowing that it was like a new thing and how did you go through and try to price it? As much as possible. And one thing I appreciate about Card Ladder, it's, I think Card Ladder is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 100% empirical. Uh, there's some predicted stuff in there. I know, but on, like, that's mentioned as predicted, but even the predictions are based on empirical data. They're based yeah, on there's no, yeah, there's, there's a no, yeah, there's okay. Yes. The problem is you can't have a formula when you're doing a price guide. And we did after my heart attack, after I stepped upstairs in the price guide, the guys mm-hmm. really decided to not price things explicitly that were so scarce, less than 25, let's say, because they were just there, there wasn't enough data. And that hasn't bothered card ladder because when you know one sale is one sale and it's worthy of being reported, and we did report those. But to put in an explicit, this is the price, we didn't do that. And so I I think when we were doing price guides in the late 90s, let's say, mid-late 90s, this 97 period, for example, as best as we could, we had the ratios of what was in. But when you didn't see, or if you saw one and you saw what it went for, we don't want to interpolate or extrapolate, but we were being asked to come up with a price for all the stuff. And we did the best we could. We're using every bit of empirical data we could get our hands on. Again, eBay was not as big a thing. We were at card shows every weekend on both coasts and in the Midwest. So we had 19 guys on our price guide team and somebody was traveling to the West Coast, East Coast, Midwest every weekend. And we had all these dealer reps talking to the dealers and stuff like that. But hard to verify. You know, another thing card ladders trying to do is put a level of verification. We did too. When we were at a card show and somebody say, yeah, I've been selling these all day long at such and such. And we go look at their table. Wait, it's still sitting there at this price that's lower <laughs> than what you're saying. Right? It can't, can't be true. So we, we try to verify just as you are, but we uh, have it easy. We just get to verify online sales and through these big companies, you're out in the, the field trying to do this stuff. That sounds a lot 
more challenging? Um, part, it was expensive, very uh, fortunate. Prices weren't moving every day. We had great relationships with dealers. By having such a big price guide team, many of them had worked in card shops and had a lot of experience. They had their own network of knowing degrees of trust. <laughs> it's hard to get people to, to accurately grade their own card or accurately mm-hmm. say what their own card is worth because it's aspirational. Yeah. What about Beckett grading? What made you guys want to start getting into the grading business and how that came about? I actually didn't jump into it. I let them jump into it. My team, I've said this, basically had a great team. And I keep talking about how great they are. How come I was the hardhead that waited more than a year to jump into grading? I think there were some perceived conflicts of interest, which I think are are blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. We always were taking into account the grade. All the guys were out doing the price guides. When they saw a card and they're at the show, it didn't sell. Well, if it's a VG condition, then, you know, of course, it's not going to be the same price as X Mint or Near Mint. So we were always grading cards and we started grading with some of the price guide guys who said, let us do the feasibility study to show that we can do this. I just thought, these are some of my very best guys. What do I need? So I think I was the holdup. And so Mm. we jumped in. It may have sounded like we just jumped in, but we'd been percolating and doing things behind the scenes for more than a year as my Mm -hmm. really strong team. And some of my strongest guys were saying, we got to do this. And I'd say, what about this? And they'd go back away and they'd come back with the answer to that. And so we jumped in. We were able to jump in with a slab that had been patented, an algorithm for the grades, and some idea of how to price it in a way that was different than PSA. I delight in being the market leader. I delight in being the prime mover, the first mover. But in grading, we weren't. So I was absolutely not going to be a me too grading service. We were going to bring some innovation to it and try to uh, compete strongly with an entrenched market leader that had a, a big lead on us and had an amazing registry that we we never have caught up with on the vintage cards. One of the things that I've always admired about the company Beckett and yourself is that you you guys seem to do a little bit of everything. A lot of companies are specializing, especially at that time. And, and you guys were doing grading, you're doing price guides, you're doing media. Was that something that you intended to do when you started the business to expand and grow? Because this is something that that we think about with card ladders. Do we want to be specialized in this lane or do we want to try to expand? You're putting a good spin on it, Josh, because I had a heart attack in 96. So that's another thing about the 90s. The early 90s, junk wax, baseball strike, I get a heart attack, late 90s, golden age of inserts and all that going on. I just, at some point, probably after my heart attack, I thought, you know what? This is too Jim centric, too Dr. Beckett centric. My name's on the company, but we never had more than 200 employees, a bunch of really strong people. And I thought, I need to get out of their way. You're bringing it up in a very favorable way of all these things that we did that are still being appreciated and doing well. We did a bunch of things that didn't work or worked mm-hmm. for a while. And we we dabbled in a bunch of things. Most of the hobby things did work because I still understood those things. And I could provide vision and direction and know what's crazy and what was doable. But we got into some non-sport stuff. Some of it worked really well, but some of it was a big failure. So we weren't 100%. People say, collect what you like. But it's almost get involved in business that you like or do things that you understand. If you don't understand something. So when my excellent team encouraged me to do things that I didn't really understand, I should have said no. Okay. I didn't say no originally to grading because I didn't understand it. I did understand it. And I just thought, I'm not quite ready for that. Let's make sure we get out there and do it right. And I think we did. 
But there were some non-sport things we did. I still don't understand it. It didn't work. We lost money. Again, made a lot of money on certain things. But people talk about if you hit you know, 300, 330 or something, you win the batting championship, you're bat 400, you're a legend. But in business, you bat 400, you're losing a lot more than you're, than you're winning. And so I want to bat 90%. And we did bat 90% in the industry on a lot of the things. The man in the house who calls, the man in the house who calls. 